Good morning, church. So good to be with you today. Why don't you stand to your feet for the reading of the word. If you're a guest with us, my name is Daniel, one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And we, we take these moments as a community to come around the scriptures. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today. So we take moments in our services to come around the scriptures to learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, and how are we called to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ, and how are we called to learn to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry about it. We'll have them up on the screen. But let's begin to read this together. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 8. Formerly... When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Jumping down to verse 19, Paul would say this, My little children, from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. So Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we would ask that you take this word, take it deep into our hearts. May it shift our thinking. May it change who we are. And Lord, I know that for many in this room, there's so many things that are going on in our minds and our hearts right now. So much is taking place in our lives. But Lord, I would just ask that for these next few moments, we could center our hearts on you, that you would limit the distractions in the room and that we would be able to fully engage with your word today. We love you and we thank you and we worship you and your precious and your holy name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated this morning. 13 days ago, my wife gave birth to our third child. This is... My son, this is August York Collins. Strong name, huh? The thing is, when you name your daughter Astoria, you name your next son Otto, you can't name the third one Mike, right? It doesn't work that way. So so this is August. You know, we'll probably call him Augie or Gus or whatever other, you know, things that we come up with. But it's been such a, a joy in our household. And, you know, it was Monday the 10th of October, and we had walked into our doctors. We were four days late, and so they were doing some tests to make sure that August was doing well. And he had a little bit of a dip in his heart rate. And so they thought, hey, you know what? Why don't you just go over to the hospital? Let's do an ultrasound. Let's make sure that everything's good in there. So we walked over to the hospital. We got in there around 2.30 p.m., put my wife back on the little heart check monitor, and there was another little dip. So they said, hey, listen, we're just gonna keep you here until he, until he comes. And it could be days. We have no idea. So they sent me home to get our bags because we hadn't brought them with us. And we get our, I get our bags. I come back to the hospital. I walk back into the room where my wife was and she wasn't in there anymore. I went to the front. I said, where is my wife? And they said, oh, she's in the labor and delivery room. And I walked in there and my wife was in full baby coming mode. Like, She's got a vibe about her. She's super intense. You know, she likes the lights all the way down. She puts big wet towels over her like she's getting ready to go to a boxing match, which I know it's kind of like that. And I'm just, it was, I was like, oh my gosh, I thought we were days away, but we're like, here we are. 
And my wife starts telling the nurse, she's like, hey, I, I, he's, he's coming. And, you know, the nurse is kind of charting and, you know, no, no you're, you're fine. And I'm, again, I don't want to overshare because I know, you know, this, I don't want to be sensitive. But I'll just say his head was coming out. <laughs> and so I see this and I, I, I hope one day they send me the security footage at, at the hospital because I run out of the room and I'm just yelling, where's the doctor? His head is coming out. <laughs> And I kid you not, the doctor walks into the room and before she even gets her gloves on, the nurse delivers our son. It was just wild. In fact, from the time we entered into the hospital at 2.30, it was just over two hours and he was here. It was wild. I'm still kind of processing everything that took place. I wasn't expecting to see him yet, right? It was just, it was pretty wild. But in the midst of all the chaos in our home the last couple weeks, in the midst of that moment, I was prepping this message. I'm looking at those words of the Apostle Paul. And it's so fascinating to me that of all the things that he could draw to the reader's mind to express his desire to see Christ formed in the lives of the Galatians, he uses that word, I'm in anguish, likened to childbirth. Interesting. This, this moment of just, I so want Jesus to be formed in you. This passionate moment, this, this strenuous moment. And that was Paul's deepest desire for them, for them to be formed into the image of Jesus. Now, what was taking place in this church that was inhibiting their formation? We get a little bit of a, a clue, so to speak, in the beginning of his letter. In Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Some false teachers had entered into the church and they were beginning to add to this gospel of Jesus saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is fine, but you also need to do this. You need to add this. And this perversion of the gospel was leading them to not mature in their faith to be formed into the image of Jesus. And for the apostle Paul to be formed into the image of Christ is essential for the believer. Notice he does not say, I'm in anguish until I know that you have gone to heaven and you're secure there. He does not say, I'm in anguish until Christ comes back for you. He says, I am in anguish until what? Until Christ is formed in you. What the Apostle Paul understands, what we all need to understand is that as human beings, we are always being formed. You are always becoming a version of yourself. And for the Apostle Paul, if not Christ, then who? Especially for those of us who profess faith in Jesus, if you are not being formed into the image of Jesus, then who or what are you being formed into? Because whether intentionally or unintentionally, you are becoming. So the question we have to ask is becoming what? 
Now we live in very interesting times. The secularized culture that we live in, it is what some have called a formation machine. We are being formed all the time through so many different mediums. Think about the cell phone that you carry around in your purse or your pocket all day long. Every app that you scroll, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Google, checking your email, checking different news articles. Every time you pick up your phone, which by the way, on average about 150 times a day, four on average about four hours. Some of you are thinking, no, 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 not four, it's probably two. And some of you are thinking, yeah, it's not four, it's probably eight. But every time, every click, every scroll, you are becoming. See, these apps are actually, they're training you. In a lot of ways, they're actually enslaving you. And it's part of their design. And we're not going to get too much into it today, but there is an incredible book by an author named Felicia Wu Song. She wrote a book called Restless Devices, and it is fascinating and it is brilliant. And it talks about how our devices are forming us. But it's not just our phones that are forming us. It is the Netflix series that we binge. It's our favorite news network. It's listening to conservative or more of our liberal conservative radio shows. It's every time we read another news article, we listen to another podcast. Through all of these mediums, you are becoming. But it doesn't just stop there. The cultural landscape in which we live, the cultural ideologies of our day, the the different cultural perspectives, the values that they carry with them, they too have opportunity to form and to change you. I recently read a book by an author named Carl Truman called Strange New World. And in his book, it's really fascinating. He traces some of the different ideologies we have in our culture today, and he traces them back to you know, 19th century philosophers, individuals like Marx and Freud and and Nietzsche. And what's so interesting is that while many of us don't spend time looking at old, you know, people who speak on, you know, different ideas of philosophy, we're actually living out many of their visions today, whether we know it or not. Listen to how he speaks about the 19th century German philosopher Nietzsche. Carl Truman would say this, we might express Nietzsche's thought this way, Freed from the burden of being creatures of God, human beings must rise to the challenge of self-creation, of being whoever they choose to be, but perhaps even more bluntly, be whoever or whatever works for them. You should feel no obligation to conform to standards or criteria or anybody else. Now again, not many of us are spending time reading 19th century philosophers, but here's the deal. As you listen to that explained, what should begin to draw to your mind are some of the phrases that you hear in 2022. Like for example, well just live your truth. I mean that's where that is embedded in. This idea that we are just to self-create our own meaning and our own identity, move beyond the idea of you being created as a person from an individual named God and put that to side and start to create your own meaning. Start to begin to live out whatever it is that you internally sense in you. And that is the invitation that culture is giving us to create your own meaning, to form your own identity disconnected from creator God. We have been told that the good life is by achieving and acting outwardly in accordance to what we feel inside. 
And even those of us who profess faith in Jesus, we are susceptible to accepting this invitation. But what if, and I want to borrow the words from the author Justin Early, what if the good life doesn't come from having the ability to do what we want, but from having the ability to do what we were made for? See, what if the the culture's formation machine made up of all the scrolling and the listening and the buying and the consuming and the watching and the adhering to modern day cultural ideals of the good life, what if it's ultimately asking us to live out of a story that is not ours to live out? See, I think that the, the human story can be described, and I'm really simplifying it, but in three words. It's that of creation, decreation, and recreation. Humanity's story is that, well, we read it in the account of Genesis, Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So there is a God who created the heavens and the earth and created you and he created I. And there's a design connected to how he created us. But as we begin to see in the story in Genesis, something happens. A decreation takes place. When humanity begins to lose their trust in God and want to do things in their own way, which we all have, by the way, sin enters into the equation. Decreation begins to take place. But the beauty and the reality of the God that we serve is that God did not leave us in that decreative state, but he through the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life on a cross, who died for us, who rose again on the third day and then ascended to the right hand throne of the father because of that reality. Now a recreation can begin to take place and we can begin to partner with God in the renewal of all things. So while the apps in your phone have a vision for your life, while the political left and the political right will have a vision for your life, while 19th century philosophers will have a vision for your life, there's also someone else who has a vision for your life, and it is the one who created you. And I think if we are going to follow after any vision for what it means to be a human, I ought to think that we might want to follow after the vision that God has for us. Because this was his idea in the first place. He understood what he was doing when he created humanity. He understands the design and it is perfect. And so the most flourishing, the best life you could live is submitting to God's great design. And part of that design and part of that vision is to live out in accordance with this hope for transformation to begin to take place in your life. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. For God foreknew, and he also predestined us, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So there's vision being spoken here to be conformed into the image of his son. I love the way that Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, he talks about these verses in this way. He says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him 
along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. See, I believe that there is no more compelling vision for your life than to be formed into the image of Christ. It doesn't matter what you've seen, what you've read, what you've heard, how good or enticing another vision might be. From a biblical perspective, there is no greater vision for your life than to be formed into the image of Jesus. Now, one of the things that we might want to begin to ponder, well, why? Now, yes, we can just read what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, just said. Yes, there's a biblical mandate to be formed into the image of Jesus. That's a great reason But what about from a practical perspective? Why would you want to become more like Jesus? I was driving around with my son this past week and I was listening to this song and the chorus says, I just wanna be like him. Holy Spirit, mend me, make me more like Jesus. And my son, who's only three years old, but he's very smart, he asked me the question, Daddy, why do you wanna be more like Jesus? I wasn't prepared in the moment to answer it, to be honest with you. It's like, buddy, we've been in sweatpants for two weeks with this new baby at home. I'm not thinking clearly. I... And so I tried to kind of articulate to him in language that he would understand. But then I went home and I started just to kind of write out why I want to be more like Jesus. Now, I want to share this list with you. See, I want to be more like Jesus because Jesus was the living embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be more like Jesus because he was a person of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the type of person I would like to become. Jesus was a person who was grounded in his identity and his purpose. He lived fully on mission and he was fruitful in his life, but he was not over-functioning. There were times where he could have even been more fruitful in his life, done more miracles, done more ministry, but instead he got into a boat and went to the other side. See, he embodied this vision of withdraw and return, get away and be with God and be refueled and then return to the mission. I wanna be like Jesus because he wasn't in a hurry. He was present enough to be moved with compassion towards others. He would often be interrupted, yet would not be dismissive. And I gotta be honest with you, as I typed that out this past week, I started to cry. Because I cannot tell you how many times my little children have come to me and I have been dismissive towards them because I had something more important to do than be their dad. But see, I don't wanna be dismissive. I wanna be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus because even in the midst of a night that would have carried so much heavy emotion for him, during the Last Supper, he was still about others and he washed his disciples' feet. He was tempted, but he never was giving in to temptation. He was gracious with his words. He was a man of humility. 
He had a willing spirit and he humbled himself by becoming obedient. And for him, obedience meant he was going to die a brutal death on the cross. See, being formed into the image of Jesus, from my perspective, leads you to the life that you've always wanted. Those are not my words, they're borrowed from John Ortberg. He wrote an incredible book called The Life You've Always Wanted. But I truly believe that following the way of Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, will in fact lead you to the life that you've always wanted. Because I think ultimately, deep down in the, the deepest parts of who you are, whether you have all these other things that you might desire, the deepest part of you wants to become a person of love. The deepest part of you does not want to be controlled by every little inkling of desire that you have. The deepest part of you wants to experience peace and joy and love and kindness and to be more compassionate. In the frenetic pace of our life, the deepest part of your soul wants to slow down and just simply be. That's what the soul is aching for. But to in, engage in this experience of being formed into the image of Jesus, we're going to have to give ourselves to a certain style of life. As much as I would love just to say, hey, just keep coming to church and it's all going to work out for you. That's part of it. But it's not all of it. See, we need to figure out what it looks like to be spiritually formed. And the verbiage that we use is spiritual formation. And let me give you a definition of this. This is from Robert Mulholland. He wrote a book called Invitation to a Journey. But he defines spiritual formation in this way. Number one, it's a process. Number two, of being formed. Number three, into the image of Christ. And number four, for the sake of others. And I love that definition of it because, again, we see it's a process. It's not just going to instantly happen. There's going to be a life that you're going to have to give yourself to. But if you do, the result is you will be formed, not into what a, an app might want for you or a politician might want for you, but you'll be formed into the image of Christ, which is what is ultimately for you as a human being. And then lastly, it's for the sake of others. You are not called just to become more like Jesus for your own self-satisfaction. You're called to be more like Jesus because there is a mission for his church. And you are called to be part of that mission. It is for the sake of others. And so the big thing with the remaining moments we have is I want to start to process through how do you engage in spiritual formation. Now recently, a few of us from the staff, we went down to a conference in Portland and the conference was all centered around spiritual formation. And one of the keynote speakers, he, he shared in his talk the reality that there have been certain kind of traditional models of spiritual formation or transformation in the church, but they have not amounted to us really becoming more like Jesus. Let me just share two of them with you and they might even resonate with some of you. The first one is the traditional model of information plus inspiration plus willpower equals transformation. It's this idea that if we just know enough of the right information and then a pastor can come up and, and inspire us and get us all excited, and then if we just have enough willpower inside, we'll start to change. How's that working for you? 
It doesn't work for me. Now, for some of the more Pentecostals in the room, here's the second one. Encounter, right? Encountering the presence of God plus emotion plus willpower equals transformation. I mean, how many of you, and I've been there, listen, I've been at the conference and it's that moment where they're singing, you know, what a beautiful name and there's an altar call and I'm weeping my eyes out. I will never sin again, I promise. And then guess what happens? That ultimate hope that I have, it doesn't come to fruition. Because we need more than just knowing the right thing. We need more than just relying on our own willpower as human beings. We need more than just an inspiring talk. I mean, listen, I hope you get something from this morning, but you need more than just this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to just briefly give you a spiritual formation framework. Now, here's the reality. The series we are in right now, it's a vision series, which means that we're not going to be able to unpack all of this this weekend. In fact, my heart and our heart as the pastoral team here is we want to see us, you know, this whole family, foundation, formation, future, these words that we're talking about, we want to see these become the architecture of our church for years to come. So we're going to have lots of time to talk about these in depth, but let me for the last few minutes just give you a brief overview of what we're going to call our spiritual formation framework. Ideally, this is sort of how we begin to change as people. And it begins really where it needs to begin. It begins with the gospel. You will not be able to become more like Jesus until you respond to the work of Jesus. You will not be able to experience spiritual formation until you have first come to the realization that you are a sinner who needs to be saved. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have to realize that, acknowledge it, and receive the free gift of salvation. But we also have to understand the gospel is not just the cross. No, the the totality of the gospel is really understanding the biblical narrative. It's realizing that, yes, we were created by God, and sin entered the world, and there was this decreation that took place in the human condition, and now there's this recreation happening because of the cross, but then it goes beyond even that. While, yes, God will one day make all things new, we even right now are beginning to participate in his renewal of all things. But it begins with our realization of the gospel. Now, here's from from the gospel. When we receive salvation, what begins to take place in us? Well, not only do we receive the free gift of salvation, we begin to receive the spirit of God. We just talked about this all throughout September. We did a series on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit begins to indwell in you, begins to outflow out of you. But what we need to realize, and I wish this wasn't the case, I don't know why God didn't do it this way, I wish I could just say, once you believe in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, you're gonna change and it's gonna be amazing, it's gonna happen tomorrow, isn't that great? It doesn't happen that way. But see what the Holy Spirit does, it begins to, well, as Dallas Willard would say, it begins to change really the essence of who you are. Let me actually read you this quote. Spiritual formation is not about behavior modification. It's about changing the source of behavior. See, the the spirit comes and dwells with our spirit. Begins to change the source of our life. And things can begin to shift and things begin to change. 
But then the Spirit does something very unique. What the Spirit does begins to lead us into truth. Listen to John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So we receive the gospel and we understand the reality of it. We then receive the Holy Spirit of God and the Spirit begins to lead us into truth. Friends, let's just be honest for a moment. Desperately what we need as a body of believers, as Christ's church, is to understand what is true and what is not. We live in a world that is deeply confused at what is reality. And we need to lovingly and compassionately hold on to the reality that we do believe that this is truth. And so we're gonna have to hold on to that truth. But as we just said a few moments ago, it's not just about knowing the right thing and being inspired by that and then trying to have willpower. No, some more things have to take place. So the spirit leads us into truth, yes, but then what? We need to start to practice the truth. Let me read this from Felicia Wu Song. She's a brilliant thinker and she says this, what we enact or perform with our bodies are not merely secondary aspects of how we express our beliefs, commitments, or values. Rather, the practice we embody do a work on us in a way that is separate from and external to whichever cognitive meaning, whatever cognitive meaning, moral intention, or cultural logic we may bring to the table. See, the practices that we're called into from the scriptures, they actually begin to do, as she says, a work on you. And Jesus knew this. That's why he said in the Sermon on the Mount, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The apostle Paul builds on this to the church in Philippi. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I think we can look at this practice component in a few different areas. There's the practice as obedience taking time to actually look at the scriptures, begin to see the way that God has called us to live and then having the audacity to live because of it. To practice and to be obedient to what is being spoken of. There's also the practice of observance where you actually begin to look at the person and the work and the life of Jesus and you see the things that he did and you make that connection. Oh, maybe I ought to do that too. And then there's the practice as discipline. The, the biblical narrative and the historic church has showed us these incredible spiritual disciplines that I believe God uses as kind of the raw material to begin to do a good work in our lives. Practices like solitude and silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, sacrifice. Or the disciplines of engagement, study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, submission. Now, what's so beautiful is even right now, we are practicing some of the spiritual disciplines, right? Uh, fellowship, coming together this morning, prayer, hopefully some celebration, study, worship. Maybe if you even begin to live out based upon what we're talking about, there's some submission taking place to the word of God. 
So it's all founded on the gospel. We receive the spirit of God. The spirit leads us into truth. We begin to practice that truth in our daily lives and things begin to shift and things begin to change. But not all things might change. See, for many of us in this room, you've maybe been following the way of Jesus for some time. And there's a lot of things that have adjusted. Maybe your attitude has adjusted. Maybe your language has adjusted. Maybe the way that you've, your thought patterns have changed in certain ways. But maybe there's this one component of your life that for whatever reason doesn't seem like it's being touched just yet. Maybe it's that addiction. Maybe it is that certain way of thinking. Maybe there's that desire inside you and you keep thinking that, oh, I, if I just keep doing this enough, it's gonna shift, it's gonna change, and it just hasn't. Well, I think the fourth part of this is the word healing. Many of us in this room, we need to go through a process of healing. I don't even know all your stories, but I can just guarantee in a room this size, there have been some traumatic things that have happened to people. I'm fighting wanting to share a story and I'm not going to, but my heart was just breaking this morning because of some of the difficulty and the trauma that people in our church are facing. And whether it's current trauma or past trauma, whether it's you know, just certain patterns in your life or maybe scripts that have been given to you and you're aware of them consciously or even subconsciously, all these different things, there is some healing that needs to take place. And I would just encourage you, if that's the place that you find yourself in this morning, be at peace today. And would you just realize that this is a place where you can be real with what is going on in your life? We have incredible ministries of our church that so desperately wanna come alongside you in your healing. And one of the verses that has meant so much to us as a church is Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is some renewing that needs to take place. There are some things that have happened in the past and we need to finally go back so that we can go forward. And I know that's hard. I know that is difficult. You know, even in my own life, I have had moments where I've had to think through things that have taken place in the past and I've had to ask that question, how is this affecting me today? And then I've had to do the work of sitting with certain people and having them help me navigate through that. So again, foundation on the gospel. We receive the spirit of God. Spirit leads us into truth. We begin to practice the truth. We then find the areas of our life that need healing. And all of this is done in community and it takes place over time. It takes place in community over time. When you're going through the difficult moments, you cannot do that alone. And it takes place over time. Friends, I wish I could tell you that spiritual formation is like a, you know, an air fryer or like a microwave. I wish we could just, you know, type in a few buttons and then 30 seconds later, oh my gosh, look at me. But it's more like a slow cooker, like a really, really slow cooker. <laughs> that means that we have to be patient in the midst of our spiritual formation. I'm gonna be real honest and vulnerable with you. Are you ready? In the past two weeks, 13 days that we have been home since our baby boy was born, can I tell you, there have been some ugly moments in our house. I know the picture's cute and I, all the cute stuff I've posted on Instagram about how precious and cute. Can I also tell you, I've been nasty the last two weeks. 
I'm tired. I'm worn out. It's not easy bringing another life into the world. And we can glamorize it all we want. And I love it. And I, love, I would not change it for the world. But I'm not telling you it's been easy. And can I just be honest with you? Some of the ugly parts of Daniel have come out. I've been short with my kids. I've said things to my wife in a snappy kind of condescending way. What's so beautiful about my wife is that she does not sit with it and she calls me out on it and I have to just go, thank you. That's why I married you because you don't let me get away with my stuff. But here's the deal. Even in the midst of my own self-awareness enough to say there have been moments where I have not acted like the person of Jesus in my home this past week, can I just tell you, I have to also experience grace today because this takes place over time. So don't beat yourself up because it's not happening as fast as you would want. You, unfortunately, we all, we live in a culture and a world where everything should just happen so fast. If I want it, I go on Amazon and I buy it and it's at my doorstep in 12 hours. How crazy is that? Super convenient too, by the way. But when it comes to becoming more like Jesus, it's gonna take place as you walk with the Spirit, as you read the truth of God's word, as you begin to practice it, as you begin to acknowledge the places in your life that need healing, as you submit to community, and you allow time to just do what it needs to do, and you allow God the space to move and to navigate and to shift and to change and to readjust. And over time, we will be formed into the image of Christ. And you will then be sitting in and submitting to God's vision for human beings. And I promise you that is the best place to be. So I wanna invite you to stand to your feet. And I, before we go, I want us to respond. I mentioned that there was a song that me and my son were singing and that's when he asked me the question, why do you wanna be like Jesus? Well, we're gonna sing that song together. And I just hope that maybe this can be a moment where we would acknowledge what God is maybe doing in our hearts, where the Holy Spirit might be speaking. And then I'll come up and I'll close this out in just a moment. Let's sing this together.